Welcome, bienvenue, uh, CYC podcast discussions on child and youth care and our ongoing collaboration with Taking It Global Rising Youth Podcasts. I'm Wolfgang Bashan. Despite being around for several years now, CYC podcast has not spoken a lot about the environment and its effects on young people. You know, really, child and youth care as a field hasn't really done a very good job of addressing this at all. I mean, I'm not aware, for example, of any courses in post-secondary CYC programs that are focused specifically on the environment or climate change, change in oceans, uh, how these are going to impact young people or the relevance to child and youth care. Every now and then I see something at a conference or the art, odd article, but not much. And arguably, this is going to have a greater impact globally on the lives of young people than anything else happening today. And while child and youth care might not be doing such a great job, young people all over the world are doing some amazing stuff. And today I'm talking with one such young person who is committed to making a difference in the world. I'm talking to Mo Fang from Oceans Week HFX. Hello Mo, thank you for joining me today. Hi Wolfgang, thanks for having me. This is a really good opportunity to share what I'm learning about and, and how I want to help others. Excellent. Yeah, I'm excited about our conversation. Like I said, we haven't done a lot of that on, um, on CYC podcast, and I know it's a huge focus of taking a global and rising youth. Uh, before we get into sort of some of the, the specifics of, of Oceans Week uh, HFX, and for those of you who don't know what HFX is, that, that's Halifax, um, could you just talk a little bit about yourself and your connection to Ocean Week, Oceans Week Halifax? Yeah, definitely. Um, I just want to do um, a quick land acknowledgement of where I'm working and living um, on Mi'kma'ki, the ancestral and unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people. And I first became involved with Ocean Bridge, um, which is a youth ambassadors program through OceanWise. I became a participant in their first cohort. And this is how I was introduced to Taking a Global and all of the work and support they do with youth programming. Um, I am also the co-founder of Oceans Week Halifax, as you just mentioned, based in Jabuktuk, uh, known as Halifax. And Oceans Week Halifax was my commitment to local service in my community. And so this is what was required as being a participant for Ocean Bridge. And so the two just went hand in hand and I found myself being propelled into the direction of working more with youth and in ocean education. And I am now a staff member of Ocean Bridge as the program has expanded and, and I'm just happy to still be involved and be working for a program that I really, really believe in and, and taking it global and rising youth have definitely impacted um, this path for me in a, in a really positive way. Nice, that's so great to hear. Just for those people who don't know, what is Ocean Bridge? And, and along with answering that question, maybe you could talk a little bit about why we should care about the oceans, which might seem like a ridiculous question to you. <laughs> it's not, it's very common. <laughs> 
but it's hard to answer because I feel like it depends on so many things. And, and so I'll, I'll probably answer in many layers, but Ocean Bridge is a young professionals program that's run through OceanWise and OceanWise is a nonprofit uh, based in Vancouver um, that works in ocean education, ocean health, ocean literacy, and it is focusing on seafood programs, plastics programs, research, marine mammals, um, programs specifically for youth. And so Ocean Bridge um, is a program through the Canadian Service Corps. And so what it is is a group of 40 young Canadians makes up one cohort. And so these participants can be from coast to coast to coast all over Canada between the ages of 18 and 30. So the year that I was in it there, we were the first year. And so um, we came together virtually first um, as a group of 40. And during our year program, we met twice as a group in person on trips that we call learning journeys. And so what we do as a group is commit to working towards promoting ocean health, ocean conservation, ocean literacy. And by doing so, we co-create projects together as a group and have events and workshops all over the country. And it's just a really good way to get to know 39 other strangers and, and participate in the kind of work that you're passionate about and, and find some like-minded people that live in totally different areas than you. And it's really, really amazing program. And there's now four cohorts uh, running. So I encourage anyone between the age of 18 and 32, look, look it up. Nice. Absolutely. That sounds super fun. Yeah. And, and yeah, useful and engaging. Yeah. Nice. And why, why oceans? Why should we care about our oceans? Uh, I feel like first thing that comes to my mind is that the ocean is the connection that we all have to one another as, mm. to one another as humans. And the ocean has a component of interconnectedness um, oxygen, just the basis of living and the foundation of why we exist. And so I think that everyone kind of knows that in the back of their mind, that the ocean is how we are able to breathe and kind of these facts that we see on social media or, or brought up in conversations. But the ocean to me is a large component to why we need to take care of our planet and our people because they both go hand in hand. Um, it's, I guess that's the only really real answer I can give right now. I feel like I could go into some depth, but maybe I can re retouch on that in a bit as we get going about it. Yeah. There's something about the, the, just the connectiveness that I think is, is really profound. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's like being connected to the ocean. You you are connected to the ocean, even if you're living inland or you're landlocked. And I think that's something that 
I've learned a lot over the last few years is how to remind and how to appreciate the fact that we all are connected through the ocean, even if we don't know it and, and how we can make everyone feel that way or, you know, it's like a commonality we all share, but we, we don't often think of it that way. Absolutely. I mean, I live in, in Toronto and there's no ocean anywhere close, except there kind of is. I, I mean, I once went on a bike trip from, from here and then I, you know, followed Lake Ontario up through to Quebec and then along the St. Lawrence and then I ended up out in, in Gaspé and then around and, and, and all over the Atlantic Canada. And, and I followed fresh water to, to ocean. And that was the route that I that I took, and it was really. I mean, I know on a map, of course, that I I'm connected to the ocean, but when I was able to follow that journey in a real way, uh, I was like, wow, I really am <laughs> like the ocean <laughs> comes right into Toronto, and that's actually the water I'm drinking, filtered and 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 changed and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, what. What is Oceans Week Halifax? So Oceans Week Halifax, um, it started when I was in my undergrad and a friend and friend of mine and myself were attending these volunteer meetings that were, were part of a group that were working towards like what, what can we do for the oceans? Um, and I studied marine biology, and so this was kind of like a, a committee that was recommended to us to join and to kind of um, work with to have volunteer hours and, and find out what's going on in, in the program. And so we, we were attending these meetings, and we, we learned that there was people and, and organizations hosting and organizing events around the city and that were revolving around the common day of World Oceans Day, which is June 8th every year. And this was exciting. And, and as, an, as a student, you're, you're always wanting to, to jump on opportunities or to be involved in as many things as you can and just to meet new people that are, are doing the same kind of work. And so um, we were attending some meetings and after a year of these of these meetings, we realized that there wasn't as much growth or momentum that we really wished or were craving. And so we, we unfortunately parted from this group because we felt like our voices weren't being heard as, as young women and young students um, in a group of um, people who are older than us or more kind of accredited than us in, in the kind of subject or topic we were talking about. And so we were really discouraged and, and we, and we stood outside of this building after we left a meeting that kind of left us in tears. And we were, we were like, what are we doing? Like, how do we, how do we contribute to the things we care about when, when there are adults that we look up to who, who don't believe in us or don't, or don't want us to move forward. And so, we made a pact and we decided to create Oceans Week HFX as a separate entity and, and just run with it. And so 
um, Halifax was having maybe three to five events in the span of a week in this in this June period during World Oceans Day, and and this was our 2016 or so, and so last year our third year of Oceans Week HFX we had over 40 events in 10 days, wow. and we had events in neighboring provinces and. And according to the worldoceansday.org website, Halifax and Nova Scotia were the leading um, locations in the world that had the most events and most traction happening during that, that time. And so in a couple of years and a little bit of kind of taking a leap and trying to find, find different ways and different people to talk to, to see how we could fulfill this kind of craving we had and this dream. And so here we are and we, we followed our guts and we're still working really hard on how to make Oceans Week HFX better and, and find true meaning and impact on people in our community and in all kinds of different communities that are just within this one province. And so um, if, if we want like a, a one-line definition, I guess, of what Oceans Week HFX is. Um, we describe ourselves as a youth-led initiative that uses both a digital platform and an in-person celebration. So this is usually seven to 10 days. And we use funding such as grants from Rising Youth to support and promote communities, organizations who are doing work with or for the ocean. So. A lot of the money goes to event support and to help smaller NGOs and nonprofits put on events and workshops and and provide them with whatever they need to make their event a success. And and also this goes to making all of the events free and so they're accessible to any age and to anybody. And so there, we don't want there to be kind of an admission barrier to this and we want um, people to attend events and workshops and and it's a variety of different things film screenings and lectures and cleanups and um, keynote speakers and we have night markets for local vendors and and lots of lots of different types of events that we host and so Oceans Week acts as kind of a a hub where all of the information you need for any event that's happening during Oceans Week you can find it on our platforms and and we host uh, gatherings for anyone who's involved and wants to be involved and so they can get to know each other. So we kind of second-handedly create more networking for people that might may or may not be what they're looking for. And so just kind of meeting that like-minded group of people is sometimes what you need to keep going. And so... Um, that's amazing, though. Like, that's, you know, the largest in, in the world and, like, just in a couple of years, like three years, really. Um, yeah. Way to go. That's, that's, that's really, that's incredible. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and, and it's always so frustrating and disappointing when we hear about things like sexism and ageism and dismissal totally. of, you know, young people or students or... Um, women or queer or trans or, or racialized groups, you know, oh, you, you, you know, somehow you're not allowed on into this, right? And, and I think, 
you know, environmentalism sometimes has a, a bit of a, a, an image, um, which, yeah. which is not always fair. And we know, you know, racialized communities, for example, are disproportionately globally impacted by, by environmental factors. Yeah, I definitely have, have felt that tremendously in the last little bit too, being a visible minority myself, a queer person, a woman. And like, I feel like I'm being impacted more and more in, in the sort of world. Like I, I did a short program in an ocean technology sector and, and really my eyes were wide open to how much it is not a visibly diverse or age diverse ocean sector or sector to be in. And it was really, I was really uncomfortable a lot of the time, even though I was really interested in the work I was doing. And I feel like it was such a barrier to, to what I wanted to do. And so I kind of put it aside and, and, I think I would rather feel more comfortable in my in my skin than than have to force myself to do work that I I don't know. There's like a balance between wanting to do the work and and being comfortable doing it than than just maybe not doing it at all. Would sometimes you have to pick and choose, I guess. But yeah, I mean it's 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 you know infuriating really that people who who are committed who are active like yourself who want to you know do that are are, are experiencing the ostracization the racism the sexism the homophobia you know whatever it, it might be that's pushing you out of of that um that space um, it was give a sense i mean you, you know apart from the obvious reason that we live in a racist, sexist, homophobic culture. Yeah. Um, do you have a sense of, you know, why this, this, this exists or why, you know, this particular field might feel so exclusionary? Um, I think, I think what's fresh in my mind and, and kind of why I, I asked us to reschedule is because I got into this last few days I've been reading reading a lot about COVID and marginalized communities, racialized communities and climate crisis and kind of all of those things. And, and then I think I've always thought that ocean conservation is such a, such a privilege to be able to study. Mm. And even in school, like all my teachers were white, older folk and I didn't really think about it then. I just kind of, you know, went to class and did my work or sometimes didn't do my work. And I don't know, I didn't think about it until after I was finished, kind of how linear it was with what, who, who is doing this kind of work and how limited it is into, you know, opportunities for other people to to become engaged or become a part of the conversation or be on the forefront and not in the background you know and so I've always found that it's always been kind of 
privileged group of people making the decisions or working at the higher levels within ocean environmental conservation fields. And I don't know if you, f you see that or feel that way either, but that's kind of what my experience has been. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, speaking as an older white male who teaches in a post-secondary institution, you know, yeah. I, I look around and, and, you know, I think there's been in some programs, I think there's been an active, intentional shifting in, in hiring, um, you know, and, and, you know, and, and certainly, you know, across post-secondary institutions, you know, and particularly, I think when you get into the sciences or the maths, um, there's a particular demographic who hold those positions, those positions in academia, and and certainly hold those positions in in other institutions uh, that that have, you know, that power. Absolutely. Yeah. You you introduced you know, COVID and, and one of the things that that strikes me and you introduced sort of the effects, you know, I, I, I you know, I watch Al Jazeera um, more than I've ever watched Al Jazeera in my life right now because, <laughs> because you know, I'm sort of enraptured with what's happening around the globe and and certainly to watch Canadian or American news channels, you wouldn't know that there's anything outside of, of Western Europe, US and Canada. Um, but the effects that we're seeing of, of COVID um, around different parts of the world um, daily are becoming more and more apparent, sort of you know, the, the, what, what may, may happen. You know, just today, you know, there was a situation of a a refugee ship of Rohingya that um, were finally rescued after two months who've been refused three times to land. And, yeah. uh, you know, over 200 people died on that ship of, of starvation and dehydration because they were so they couldn't land because they were afraid of, of COVID. And we've seen this global response to COVID. Um, some of it amazing, some of it, you know, quite distressing. And we have never seen that sort of response to global climate change, which I think certainly one can make a very, very compelling argument that global climate change is going to climate change is going to have a far greater impact on the world um, in every metric, um, perhaps other than immediacy, than than COVID nineteen will have. Do you have any thoughts on why? we haven't seen some sort of similar response to environmental issues or, or oceans issues compared to what we've seen around the world with COVID. And uh, do you mean like exposure on climate change versus exposure on kind of effects on people and, and like the illness itself? Yeah. So we, you know, we've, you know, in Canada, hundreds of billions of dollars are, are, are being spent. In the U.S., trillions of dollars. I don't even know how many zeros is in a trillion, but there's a lot of them. Trillions of dollars are being spent. Um, and, and we haven't seen anything similar. You know, I was 
reading this morning that the emissions in, in Canada have actually gone up uh, last year. We actually went up from um, increased um, uh, several mega, several hundred megatons um, from where it had been uh, a few years ago. So we seem to be reversing course. And we see this, this um, global effort to respond to coronavirus. And we haven't seen that similar, similar effort or funding for other environmental issues. Um, so that was sort of what I was thinking about. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've definitely seen lots of articles and, and resources coming up that are it's talking about, you know, the positive outcomes on the environment because of COVID and I have very, very mixed feelings about it. And, and I've been reading, you know, headlines that are talking about ocean restoration is going to happen by 2050. And this canal in Venice is clear for the first time and fish are returning back to their native areas and, and those kinds of things. But and I understand that people want to share and, and talk about the, the positive and the lighter kind of issues um, being shared around. But, you know, as much as my heart is, is someone that's for ocean conservation and, and protecting the water and the, and the people and the land or helping support the people who are protecting the water and land. I mean, um, I feel that the focus should just be right now on, on protecting the people and, and ensuring that the lives of the people are being put first. Um, and it kind of made me think of, you know, these headlines talking about clearer rivers and clearer waterways and, and and that made me think about, you know, waste in our oceans. And, and we all know that plastics and other marine debris and, and largely it's single use plastic items that, that are clogging the oceans and also kind of large scale industrial waste that we don't even see or know about, but that's happening every single day. Um, I've I had a conversation um, with my partner recently and we were talking about how single-use plastics and and living zero waste is is the opposite of what is being recommended right now and it's such a kind of rewiring of your brain for some people you know people who are living in a way that are very against single-use items and don't see um, like why people use it or why it's being produced. But to me personally, I think that um, living plastic free or zero waste is very much a privileged way of living. And it's not that way for many different kinds of communities and racialized folks um, across the globe. And so it's funny that I want, I want youth, especially who, who are working toward, um, studying or being involved with 
plastics programs and, and learning about microplastics and, and plastics prevention to know that in this global crisis, it's single-use items right now that are, are saving people's lives and, and, and like items used in hospitals, grocery stores, masks and gloves and, and, and wipes that we're using. And I wonder what a lot of kids or youth are thinking right now and, and what they think about that. And, mm. and if, you know, you know what I mean? Like if it changes yeah. the way that they think about it day to day or, or how, or what kind of conversations are happening in households about it, who are, yeah. who are so strongly for one side or the other. And it's like, yeah. I wonder, I just wonder about those conversations. And I hope that both sides are kind of considered when talking or thinking about it. That's a great point, Mo. I, I hadn't even considered, you know, I hear these numbers about millions of, of masks and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, yeah, and, you know, that, yeah, basically they're, you know, they're supposed to be single use, although that's not always the case these days. Um, and, and I hadn't given um, consideration to, to what happens to all of them. Um, where do they go? Um, and what, what's the impact of that? So that's, uh, that's, uh, yeah, really important thing for us to consider. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you talked a bit about um, young people, um, and and you've talked about your own experiences as as a young person, and and we certainly see a movement around the the glow uh, of young people really putting themselves on the front line, putting education on the front line, putting. Um, their politics and their bodies and their commitments um, front and center to to address uh, climate, environmental, oceans issues. Do you have any thoughts regarding personal activism for young people? Um, you know, certainly your expertise is around oceans, environmentalism, but but also in, in a larger um, conversation. Yeah. Um, I also was just thinking about how I've seen some different like bursaries and grants being used to like, students who are, who are usually doing very um, on the ground environmental work. They're, they're turning their funding into um, different ways of providing for their community. Mm like serving food for communities or, or buying supplies for people who can't leave their houses. And, and I think that it's important to, you know, still have these passions about whatever it is you're doing environmentally in ocean conservation or what, what have you. But I think that shifting and adjusting to what's happening and on a daily, on a daily rate and, and what's happening today for everyone is, is important to do too. And, it's it's really important not to ignore you know what's needed right now and it doesn't necessarily make you less of a conservationist or an environmentalist if you do these things and it's still kind of helping it's helping a lot to to remember that and that and in regards to my personal activism the areas of work that i am dedicated to and very interested in and and want to do more for and, and support those who are leading the way in climate justice, um, social justice, cultural equity, 
youth engagement, um, environmental racism. Have you seen the film There's Something in the Water that was released? No, no I haven't. Oh, yeah, you should watch that. It mm-hmm. talks about lots of uh, important environmental uh, it's about environmental racism in Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you may find it interesting. But anyway, yeah, I uh, being someone who is, uh, I guess, regarded with a few minority aspects. I mean, I don't love that word minority, but it's applicable to my life and um, I want to work in the areas that are for and supporting people who are working for the people, supporting the land and the water and, and seeking justice for, for everybody. Absolutely. And seems to me as someone who's only ever met you over this, this technology and <laughs> you absolutely are like you, you absolutely are doing that and, and raising questions and, and committed. And so I want to thank you for your activism and, and for some of the, you know, the quite um, provocative and all the right ways, things that you introduced into this conversation and uh, uh, yeah. And, and reminding me how, um, intermeshed and, and complex these sorts of things are and, and how we need to hold multiple, you know, at times discordant and uncomfortable realities simultaneously and, and, and navigate them. And, and so thank you for introducing all of those things to us. And thank you for taking the time to, uh, to speak with me today, Mo. Yeah, I'm really happy that this was able to happen and and that I had a chance to speak about the things that are going on in, in my world and in our, our world today. And um, I feel fortunate that I get to, to vocalize about these kinds of things. It's really something that's changing my life a lot and, and I'm finding more and more each day where I feel the most um, like, I don't know if it's accepted that's the right word, but I feel like I'm on the track of doing the things that I'm meant to be doing in this, in this world and, and having podcasts like this and an outlet to share and, and to grow um, with. I'm, I just want to thank you for doing that as well and, and for also elevating the voices of so many other youth that you have had on your podcast previously. Um, it's, it's really amazing. And, Rising Youth and Taking Global are such a great, great uh, organization that's doing doing lots of work with youth. I do I do want to plug like three things that people should follow right now? Absolutely, plug plug. Um, on Instagram, follow Ancestors Future. Um, they just launched a few weeks ago, and they are doing a amazing job um supporting and and kind of amplifying racialized communities and marginalized communities it's an indigenous and black run um service and 
they are facilitators and trainers and experts in their field and and I really highly suggest checking them out. Um, if you want to learn more about Oceans Week HFX, we have Instagram and Facebook, and our website is oceansweek.ca. And we'll uh, I'll post links to the IG, Facebook, oh, and okay, your website as well, all on the on the homepage. So yes, amazing. Okay, yeah, and then uh, Oceanwise on Twitter too. That's it. <laughs> That's that's good. Good plugs. Good plugs. Thank you so Thanks. so so much, Mo. Sorry, were you guys something else? Did I cut you off? No, no, not at all. Okay. Thank you so so much for um for taking the time. Um and uh just to let listeners know there there will be no Oceans Week HFX this this year because of, of COVID. But um There's a digital version. Oh, nice, 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 nice. Okay. Sorry, I meant to update that. Okay, all right. Um, by the time this podcast goes up, people will be able to link through to the digital version. Um, so they'll be able to participate digitally from anywhere in the world. Um, and then we will see the, the, full, the full Oceans Week in, in 2021, I, I'm hoping. Yes, and uh, there may or may not be a Ocean Week Canada in the works also. So let's take a look out for that. Definitely. Thank you very much for taking the time today, Bob. Yeah, thanks, Wolfgang. Bye.